Well, what's up, church family? That's it? That's all I get? That's all I get? I'm going to be gone more often then, right? No, I'm kidding. Good morning, family. Hey, it's good to see you guys. It's been a little bit since I actually got to lead a series, and I'm excited. And I want to forewarn you as we jump into part one of our brand new series, Unchanging, a couple things. I believe first and foremost that God is good, and God has some good stuff in store for you today. So what I'm going to ask you to do is really lean into this message. Lean in to see what God has in store for you. But in the moment, just know this. I'm going to unpack a lot of things today, like a lot, a lot. So you want to be a note taker. So even if you want to grab your phone, I will make sure like I don't think you're texting or bored out of your mind. Uh, You're taking notes because I know disciples of Jesus take notes, all right? It's one of those things that a pastor didn't want to say during that series, move from a believer to a disciple. But uh, it's one of those things that I know that the enemy of your soul is going to try to take away God's word. And if we just let it come here and we forget about it. But if we're writing things down, we can always go back and understand, man, I needed that in the moment right there. So I believe we ought to be note takers. So turn to your neighbor and say, take notes for me. All right. Hey, I want to look in the camera, welcome all of you online. I want to encourage you, if you're online, to uh, also take notes. But I want to encourage you to come in person sometime. We would really love to have you. I I loved singing with you guys and worshiping together. You guys sing loud. And I will say this, pre-COVID, our church worshiped, but for the last, what God has done in us and through us the last 16 to 18 months, I truly believe we're a church that worships the Lord now. That is a significant win I think the Lord used in these months of priming and getting things maybe out of us, but there is a spirit of worship here now. Not that it wasn't there before, it's completely different now. And I like it. I like it. There's some passion and fire. Um, So I I need to warn you on this too. There's a lot of unpacking. I talk fast for a reason. I'm going to increase my normal rate of talk to about 1.5 even quicker, okay? So you got to go like quick, all right? Got to go quick. Um, I will not be on stage forever, Uh, This may be a longer message, but not as long as Pastor Brandon. He brought you a 56-minute message in July. The longest message at Radiant Life Church was done by your Pastor Brandon, and he's out there doing this right now, okay? Um, But I will warn you this. This is the Radiant Life record for the most slides. There are 90 slides I got to get through as well. But I won't be 56 minutes, okay? I won't be that. But I think God's got good things for us in store. I, as Pastor Brandon said, I'll, I'll be referring to this. You're going to want to just take that. You're going to want to look at it every day over this series. You're going to want to stuff it in your Bible somewhere. But I'll reference that in a little bit. Also, please take those invite cards and invite someone. Lord, who's the one person? And what I love about our invite cards is you don't even have to say much. Allow the card to speak for itself. Just invite one person. So turn your neighbor and say, be a disciple and invite someone. Turn to your other neighbor and say, stop being a heathen. No, I'm kidding. Don't say that. Don't. That's rude. That's rude. Don't say that. Don't say that. But we did talk about moving from a believer to a disciple, that disciples are evangelistically bold. This is an easy way to be evangelistically bold right there. We just try to get tools in your hand. 
But let me start our, our week one series. There it is. Our week one series with perhaps my absolute favorite president that we've ever had as a nation, President Abraham Lincoln. He faced many, many challenges in our nation. A nation that was absolutely torn over an issue of slavery. A nation that decided to fight itself. Family members on either side of the line, union, confederate, shooting at one another, killing. Our nation was at war and this man had many obstacles to lead through. He was in his cabinet meeting one time and he asked his cabinet this question. He says this, hey cabinet, how many legs would a dog have if we called its tail a leg? And I know the simple answer would all be, okay, the dog has four legs and we're now making the tail a leg. So what's the simple answer? The simple answer is five, right? And so he totally expected his cabinet to say five. It doesn't make sense, but we'll say five. And his cabinet responds by saying exactly how we just did, five. Five then, it's got four normal legs and we're going to call a tail five. To which Abraham Lincoln responded to his cabinet this way. Not true. It would only have four. Calling a dog's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Come on now. This is where we are in our culture today. We are given five-legged answers for things that are clearly a four-legged answer. We are changing, unchanging biblical truth to fit our agenda. And we were never meant to change unchanging truth. Why do we do this? Why are we as a, as a society as a whole changing clearly four-legged answers and giving five-legged answers instead? Why? The half-brother of Jesus writes a letter known as as the book of James. James chapter 1 says this, but each person is what, friends? Tempted, how? When they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. This is, we have to get this foundationally inside of us. That you are flesh and spirit. The flesh will take us to the worldly evil desires, but the spirit has to be in tune with Holy Spirit, and we are spirit-led people. And in the book, you read all throughout the New Testament, Paul sitting there writing, my flesh and spirit are at war with one another. And what happens when the flesh leads us and wins out? We become tempted with our own evil desire. Now we're enticed by it. Because the flesh is beating out the spirit. And we're not meant to do this. And then James continues to write and says, here's the consequences when this happens in your life. When you are flesh-led and not spirit-led. Then after desire has conceived, he's going to give birthing language in this moment. Watch what happens. It gives birth to sin, which when it's full grown, gives birth to death. We are changing, unchanging biblical truth and giving five-legged answers when it's clearly a four-legged answer. We're doing that politically. We're doing that um, with our purpose. It's confusing people. 
There are even within the church world today, we're changing the teachings of Jesus to fit an agenda. And it's wrong. We have to get back to foundational peers of our faith. This is what uh, we believe no matter what. And we will drive that into the bedrock of our faith. And we're not changing. We're changing our, we have questions about our origin and we're changing how we even got here in the first place. We're changing our identity and our purpose and we're changing the definition of what sin is and gender and suffering and morality. We're starting to rewrite the teachings of Jesus and we as the church are confusing people when we as the church ought to bring unity and the truth with grace to people. We ought to. We ought to. And so if Jesus came to teach you and I unchanging truth, teach us what, friends? Unchanging truth. Then we ought to know what that unchanging truth is. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, just write that down. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives an awesome illustration of this. He compares it to two homes and two builders. Jesus says one of the builders builds their house on a rock, on firm foundation. And the storm comes, the house still remains. But the other builder was foolish and built his home on sand. The problem is when the storm of life comes, when culture storms, the sand washes away and your house will fall, erode, and crumble down. And I don't want that for you and I. This is what that series is going to do for the next several weeks is figure out what are our pillars of faith? What are they? And I want to show you a picture of a coastal home. Those pillars, notice it's on piers, these pillars, these foundations. It lifts the home up in the air. Why? Because when that hurricane or that storm and those waves come crashing in, it can go under the house and back out without affecting the structure of the home. And how many of us know above that floor line, you can change the inside, we can change the layout a little bit, knock down a wall, put up a wall, you can change the color scheme in there, you can put up different decor, but that's not what matters. What matters is below that line right there. It's the piers and the foundation of your faith. And too many of us, we live above that line and we spend majority of our life here. No wonder why we are tossed in the wind all the time with teachings. We don't even know what we believe. I'm gonna show you a picture of Mexico Beach, Florida after a hurricane. Notice the lone standing home. Notice what it's built on. Everything else around it completely destroyed. But that house, they went in and looked at those piers to be like, how did these pillars, how did everything else basically crumble around you but this home? And they said there's so much sand, it took forever to get into the bedrock underneath the sand. But the homeowner said, no, we will drive it as deep as we can so when the storm comes, our house will not be effective. And it worked. It worked. Here's what I want us to do. Whether we are brand new to the faith or we've been in the faith for a very long time, I want us to understand and develop what are the peers of our faith that we don't move. Your faith, I hope, throughout this series will be more enriched than ever. 
And I don't want you to stumble like the church in Ephesus was, that Paul had to write to the church as in the letter of Ephesians, and this is what Paul's writing to the Christians. He says, then we will no longer be what, friends? Infants. I don't want you to be a child. I don't want you to be an infant in your faith. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. I don't want us to be there. So you and I have to build on something. And so 300 years after the life of Jesus, the church that Jesus came and started, that the Holy Spirit anointed the 120 in the upper room and said, go, you got a message to share. 300 years after that, the church was under attack. Just like I think the teachings of the church are under attack today. Here's what was happening 300 years ago. There's a group of people who were questioning the deity, or in other words, the the godness, if you will, of Jesus. They were saying Jesus is not really God. And so what the group of people of church leaders did is they got together in AD 325 in a city called Nicene and met and created the Nicene Council. They got together in a room and said, listen, what is essence? Our faith is under attack. People are claiming, and it's getting in the church, that Jesus is not God. What do we build our faith around? What do we do? And all those church leaders got together and they wrote what is considered to be and what's called the Nicene Creed. To say these are the pillars and the foundation when we the church are under attack. These are biblical truths that do not change. And that is what this card is. On the back side, you have what's known as the Nicene Creed. What our church, uh, some of our church fathers got together and said, what do we truly believe? They took approximately 870,000 words in the Bible and put it down to 271 words known as the Nicene Creed. These are the foundational, unchanging biblical truths of the Christian faith right here. And that's what we're going to base the series on is that we will walk through section by section every week. we got six more weeks, and you're going to learn so much. If you're like, man, I'm already deep. i got a firm foundation. I want you to, throughout this series, get, whoo, I'm more excited about my faith than ever. And if some of us are building on that sand that we don't know what we believe or we built on the wrong things, I want us to drive these biblical truths deep into the bedrock of our life because you need it. Your family needs it, your kids need it, and your eternity will stand on it. Because storms will come. How do we respond when the storm does come? The culture storms come in our life. So I'm gonna add, we're going to ask three questions throughout this series, and I hope to develop it with you guys. Number one question is this. What does it mean to be a Christian in a world of so many opinions? What, what, does it, what does it mean? What does it look like to live out my faith? Number two, what are the peers of faith? Right, are, are there really peers? I want to know more about what these peers are. And then number four, or number three, what difference does that make? What difference in my life does any of this make? Because remember, that storm has either come in your life, it's coming, or it's, it's just washing up and another one's gaining momentum. What are you going to build your life on? So, let's jump in. 
to something that's been affirmed for almost the last 1,700 years, the Nicene Creed. And so this teaching, we're going to be on the very first phrase of the Nicene Creed. So here's the first phrase. It reads this way, and you have it with you in your hand. It reads this way. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, 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 of things visible and invisible. So, for fun, will you read this with me? And I know where some of you are right now. Some of you are like, man, Ryan, I come from a church that reads creeds, and I'm tired of the creed thing. Hang in there for six weeks, okay? Some of you are like, creeds, what are creeds? Didn't even know creeds existed. Woo, here we go. You're going to learn a lot, okay? There's different groups here, but let's read this together. Are you ready? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of things visible and invisible. The very first line of the Nicene Creed when the church, our brothers and sisters, were under attack and they said, what are the pillars? What are the foundations of our faith? They began with the importance of the doctrine of creation. Right away. And if we don't get this line, we won't get the rest of the creed or the rest of the series. This is why this, this week is so important to get. The doctrine of creation, immediately from the get-go, they needed to answer the origin question. When so many people were giving other answers and questioning the deity of Jesus and all this stuff, they're like, no, 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 no. Let's start from who God is and where we've come from. And so here's a quick definition of, of the doctrine of creation, just what we believe about creation. God, who friends? God created the entire universe out of nothing. It was originally very good, and he created it to glorify himself. That is a basic doctrine creation statement. Now, I know for some of us in this moment, too, we're sitting there going, oh, great, where is this creation? Where's Ryan going to take us, Right? I know there's a lot of questions pertaining to creation. Like, when did God create? When did this all take place? So we have a timing question. Did, we have a, is the earth young? Is the earth old? What's the age of the earth? Are dinosaurs really real? Were they in the Bible? Did Noah have them on the ark? All, we got all sorts of questions, right? All sorts. Did God use the evolutionary process to create? I mean, that's in, in churches today. We have questions all over the map. Did God create, when God created, did he create plants and animals with age? Or did he create everything as little babies, little saplings? Or did he create the sequoia tree with a significant age? Questions we may all wrestle with. I would love to have those personal questions with you. But for this moment in this series, I want to take us down two different roads. Not that those aren't important. But I think there are two more important questions for us to wrestle with. And here are our two conversations you and I are going to have this morning. Number one and number two, who and why? Let's enter into conversation number one, the who. And let's ask two questions. Who is God and who is, who is we? Who are we? Who are we? It's been a while. Thanks for the grace. Genesis, the very beginning of God's word, Genesis, which is known as the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we are introduced to who is God. It reads this way, in the beginning, who friends? 
we are introduced to the main character of the entire origin story, God. God. Now the question becomes, is this God a deity? Is he a force? Is he distant? Do all, all religions lead to this God? How do, is this God even care about me? Did, how did this God, if there is a God, how did he create? Is this God loving? Is he working today? Who is this God? Well, let me briefly give you about 16 characteristics of the God of the Christian faith, the God of this Bible, the God that created all things. He is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the founding fathers, if you will, of our faith. You can read it in the book of Genesis. He is the triune God. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And some of us are like, well, you're Brian, you're blowing my mind already. This triune God, like this trinity, Next week, that's what we're going to talk about. It's going to be so important for you to understand the Trinity. And there's so many, like, is there, is there really, like, three gods up there? Or is it one with, like, three heads? Like, what is this? I'm a little confused, Father, God, and Spirit, right? We'll unpack that next week. That's why you need to invite, even, law, even invite a lost friend of yours. Because they'll understand what we believe, and I truly believe the greatest teachings are in the Word of God. And we have an absolute beautiful faith. We do. Get him here. Next week we're going to talk about that. Who is God? He is Yahweh. I love that we sang about that. Right? He it literally, I am who I am. When he's introduced, this is the first word that God actually calls himself. We just read Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, who, friends? Okay, if you look at the original Hebrew, it says, in the beginning, whatever that Hebrew is, then the name God is Elohim, which means creator God. Elohim is also a universal word for, you can use it for pagan gods as well. This is the first time we're introduced, that God is introducing a characteristic of himself. Do you know when God actually does this? Crazy scene. Moses and the burning bush. Again, Moses is questioning, well, I got to go to Pharaoh. I don't want to go to Pharaoh. Like all this stuff. And what do they question? And the guy says, hey, I am who I am. Yahweh. I am who I am. And for the first time, God speaks an attribute of who he is. He is everything. He is the great I am. He's a compassionate, unconditional, loving God. It's so important that it is so sacred. The Jews today still won't speak the name. They leave out the vowels, so they, have, they write it Y-H-W-H. Because it's so sacred. But there's a beautiful thing knowing that this is the first name God, how he introduces himself to Moses. I'm Yahweh. That's who I am. God is your heavenly father. And I know for some of you, you may have a horrible earthly father. And I'm sorry for that experience in your life. And I know God is too. But your heavenly father loves you and will always be there for you. And I know it's hard to not, when we hear Heavenly Father, not to put our attributes of our earthly father to our Heavenly Father. He's the greatest father you'll ever have. That's who God is. God is almighty God. He is powerful. There is no one like him. He's always existed. He's before all things and he holds all things together. The God of the Bible, of our Christian faith, is all-knowing. Oh, he knows everything already. He knows your life. He's given you free will to choose. He knows. He is all-knowing. 
There is nothing that God is sitting up there go, whoa, I'm surprised by that. Whoa. He knows it all. Isn't that beautiful though? He's ever present. Oh, he's here now through his Holy Spirit. He's everywhere. He's an ever present God. Oh, I feel with God when I'm in this tree. That tree isn't God. The spirit in you is God. Be careful. That's new age spirituality, all right? Well, God's in creation. Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I see your point. He created his fingerprints on there, but when you're out there, it's, it's here. It's not the tree. This God is holy. It means set apart. He is different than anything else. He is righteous. He hears the cry of the oppressed in acts because he is a right and just God. He is perfect. He is unchanging. He is all-powerful and loving. This is your God. And we're introduced to this God at the very beginning. In the beginning, God. And what's also cool is Genesis begins the origin story. We're told what this God does. It's the first action verb describing God. In the beginning, God, what friends? He created. He created. Think back to the Nicene Creed real quick. It says this, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the what friends? The maker, the creator, the maker, the one who initiated heaven and earth of things visible and invisible. And I want us to know this attribute right here. Creating is not just something God does, it's who God is. He is the creator. This, you look at our world Yes, is it messed up a little bit because of sin in this world? Absolutely. I just had this discussion this week, and this is a little tangent real quick, to sit there and go, oh, my friends are asking me the question, like, and I, I don't know how to answer this, but my friends have asked me the question, if God is all loving, why is there horrible things in this world? I said, it's really simple. God is all loving. But he's given us free will which we have brought sin and brokenness into this world. Could God stop it like that? Yeah. And I don't have the full answer why he doesn't. But his name hasn't been called out to all creation yet. And you and I just have to live in this world and be the messenger of Jesus Christ, the message that God has placed on us until he says, okay, my time has come. You look at this world, it's amazing. Think of space. This is a, a spiral galaxy that's very similar to what you and I live in, known as the Milky Way ga galaxy. There are hundreds and hundreds and perhaps thousands and thousands of galaxies in outer space. There is something magnificent and beautiful about that. Every time I see a galaxy like this in hundreds and thousands of stars, I sit there and look, I see the thumbprint of a creator here. Not a cosmic mistake, but value. We don't exactly have a picture of our galaxy. Most of our, the Milky Way galaxy is an artist's rendition looking at other spiral galaxies. But here is our galaxy that we live in, known as the Milky Way. It's beautiful and stunning, isn't it? 
you and I live in our solar system that's right around here in the Milky Way galaxy. You and I live on planet Earth. In case you didn't know that. <laughs> Don't know why I said that. Um, here's what it's amazing about planet Earth. We are in a position known as the Goldilocks location or grid. What that means is we are in the most optimal zone to sustain life. If we were a little closer to the sun, the water would evaporate and we couldn't sustain life. If the earth was just a few degrees further away from the sun, water would freeze and we couldn't sustain life. That earth is positioned perfectly in the Goldilocks zone of our solar system. I see the hand of God there. Hubble telescope can't grasp all the solar, all the um, galaxies that are out there in space. But when one goes by the Hubble telescope of NASA, it takes a picture of it. And they put all these pictures of all the galaxies they, they have seen through the telescope together with this image of all the galaxies that exist out in space and put it together. And I just see the artistry of an incredible creator who created with purpose. Our own planet's beautiful. It's stunning. Go out in creation and just walk and sit there and go, it is so gorgeous. And even sunsets. I look, and this is like the paintbrush strokes of God sitting there going, I love you, I hope you enjoy. All of creation, just the, think about animals alone. There, there's majestic animals that are just so wonderful and beautiful. And you know when God has a sense of humor, when he creates an animal with a trunk and huge ears, <laughs> right? But it's cute, isn't it? It's so unique, but beautiful. And the colors, even of a peacock, the way it's orchestrated and designed. Can I just look at humanity and go, a woman could grow another human being in their womb? That is crazy. But I see a creator all over that. Scientists all agree, whether they're atheist or Christian scientists, that Earth has a birthday. I read my account of my faith in Genesis chapter one and sit there and go, and God said, let there be light. And of course there was action happening in space. They disagree on the exact birth date, but they know something created. And scientists are, are confused with something as known as this, the uncaused caused. Let me say that again, because it's confusing. <laughs> the uncaused caused. They're arguing amongst themselves right now in the scientific community, and I'm a science nerd because that was my bachelor's degree, in, and I, so I love science stuff. They're confusing because they know that nothing can be, something cannot be created out of nothing. They're in debate over that. And I want to say this, I'm not pinning faith in science. I think faith in science can be beautifully orchestrated together. That when we study science, we can have a deeper knowledge of our creator, God. And we know that our creation and our origin stories can help us understand science as well. 
they don't have to be at odds. It's a beautiful dance. But you look at all throughout creation, the beauty of humanity and creation, and sit there and go, all of creation find its ultimate source in God. The creator, it's in God. Everything finds its source. You're told in the book of Psalms that even the rocks cry out in worship. I love this church that worships. Because I'm sitting there going, I don't want a rock worshiping in my place. I want that experience with my heavenly father, right? All of creation finds its source in humanity. We know where we come from, a creator, God, and we know who he is. Now let me talk to a group of people real quick. Because I know there's some of us out here. You're sitting here going, Ryan, you're really telling me that we can know the origin of who we are and just all that stuff. And there's a God out there that's still like, even first of all, they care. Second of all, like they're, they're trying to under, we're trying to understand that this God sustains all this somehow through his power. Like I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Can I say these words to you if that's where you are this morning? Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. I still have creation questions too. And here's what I know, and this is where you and I trip up. We try to wrap our infinite or our finite thinking around God's infinite ways. And we can't. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it sense up here, because if I make it in sense up here, then I will have faith to believe it. Listen, and I've said this before, if you can fit God up here, then he isn't a God worth worshiping. And first of all, you don't want to worship the God I can fit in my mind, because my mind's crazy. You don't want that. You don't want that. And it's okay. Have you ever sat in bed? And I did, I've done this before so many times, especially as a kid, to sit there and go, I'm going to exist for all eternity. Sit there tonight, close your eyes, and think of all eternity, like forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. That's a little freaky sometimes. <laughs> you know, sit in bed and think about God existed before all of this. But to us, everything in our life has a beginning and an end. So to sit there and wrestle with God, it was always there in Jesus and Holy Spirit. We're always there. Before all this, that's crazy. What were they doing? How long were they in existence before they created? I don't know. But it's crazy to think they were always there from the beginning. When's the beginning? We always have a beginning. I don't know when the beginning is. But they were there. But the beautiful thing about our faith and our creator, even with questions, is we might not fully understand God, but we can know this God. That is beautiful. That is beautiful, that through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, we can intimately know God, not fully understand his ways. His ways are bigger than our ways. But it will take you one word. At some point as you wrestle this idea of our origin and creation, as you wrestle with this, you're going to have to have one word. At some point, it's going to take faith. The writer of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, reads this way. Without what, friends? Without? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There will become a moment where you say, I am having faith in this. 
and I'm driving my pillar in the bedrock. Let me speak one more time to those that are wrestling. I want you to just think about this one thing. And I could list a bunch, but I want one thing. Evidence of morality. Just think of the evidence of morality. There is a basic moral law that exists in all humanity. We all believe, whether we're a Christian or an atheist, that murdering is wrong. We shouldn't steal. Lying hurts not only you, but the person that you're lying to. And, and if you don't believe that, I'm going gonna, to I'm gonna challenge you to do something after service here. I want you to go to Meyer or Walmart, find a mom or dad with a bunch of screaming kids that are in line to check out. I dare you to try to cut in front of them. <laughs> I guarantee you everyone will be yelling at you. Why? Because there is some moral law within us that dictate right and wrong, and this is what evolutionary philosophy can't solve. They cannot and still argue today, we don't know where the moral law is coming from within humanity. Can I suggest we have a moral law because we have a moral giver, and his name is God. His name's God. I want to recommend two books. Uh, the first one is this. Anthony Flew uh, was a deep atheist, and he wrote this. There is, and then he scratched out no and put, there is a God, how the world's most notorious atheist changed his mind. It's a little heavier book, a little bit deeper, but if you like heavy in reading, worth the read. Worth the read alone, just to how he came to realize as an atheist, I'm trying, isn't this awesome? This is our God. Try to prove I'm wrong. Let me introduce you to myself, Right? How a notorious atheist sit there and go, I want to prove to the Christians in the world there is no God. And then sits there and goes, oh, there is a God. And I got to write about it, right? This has been a famous book in the Christian world too. Uh, past, or, um, an author, Lee Strobel, you may have heard this. The Case for a Creator. A journalist investigates scientific evidence that points towards God. He was out as a journalist and with science stuff trying to disprove God. Like that's what he was writing about to prove to everyone there is no God. And again, in the mo moment of it, just like Anthony Flew, he found God through his investigation, I would read this one first because this one's a, easy, a little easier to read than this one, though. But if you don't have time and you're bored out of your mind, there are two good reads right there. All right, so that's, that's just looking there. But I love what the psalmist in Psalm 33 says. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. For he, God, spoke and it came to be. He, God, commanded and it stood forth. Who is God? He is creator. What about the other who real quick? What about who are we? What about you and I? In the beginning, God created. We are God's creation. And can I be honest, for the past 16 to 18 months, I don't think we've been doing a very good job at letting other people who are different than us, who may have voted differently, who may be on the other side of the vaccine or the COVID virus, letting them know that they too are God's creation. We've bashed them, yet they are still God's creation and Jesus Christ still died for them. We gotta do a better job. 
Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27 says, then God said, let us, it's the Trinity. We're getting to that next week. Let us make man in, what are these two words? In our image, according to, watch this, our likeness. It's all this our is Trinity stuff. We'll get into it next week. God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. There's a theological term that describes the summation of this, that human beings are different than the rest of creation, that you and I were created in the image of God, in God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit's likeness, in his image, in the image of God. It's known as this, Imago Dei. Let me hear you say, Imago Dei. Oh, we, did, we, we, we need a more oomph behind it, okay? It's a theological term. Now you're going to be really smart and impress your coworkers tomorrow, okay? So, on the count of three, let's say Imago Dei. One, two, three. Imago Dei. Imago Dei is that theological term meaning all humanity, every human you look at is created in the image of God. You are a mere reflection of the creator. You're that mere reflection. And so is the person you despise. They are created in the likeness of God still. They are. And what's beautiful when God created, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Then he gets to humanity and creates man and goes, oh, this is good. This is very good. I imagine God high-fying the Holy Spirit and Jesus, we did a good job with this one. It's very good. Why? Because it's a Mago Dei. It's in our image. Humans have unmatched dignity and unique purpose compared to all other creation. An unmatched dignity that says you are a Mago Dei. You know what I love about one of our responsibilities is you are a dignity giver and a dignity blesser. You have the dignity, the image of God in you. You are. Because you get to give it to others as well. Remind a lost, broken world of who their creator is. And you have unique purpose. I firmly believe this. You're not a cosmic mistake. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And God has great plans for you. We just got to discover what that purpose is. What is the meaning of my life? God, why did you create me? I'm not big into art. Art museums bore me. Actually, I wouldn't know. I've never been to one. It's probably a reason why. This is a painting by the artist Jackson Pollock. This painting is called Number 17. This went to an art auction and sold for $200 million. Then I found this art piece. And if I'm honest, I think our pre-K and kindergartners back in Radiant Kids are doing this right now. Probably better. This painting is known as The Interchange by William de Koning. It went to the art auction as well. 
and sold for $300 million. Why? Because of the artists behind the creation. How much more valuable are you because of the creator behind your creation? You have unmatched dignity. Imago Dei. Oh, you have purpose. Your value is not in what you do in life or what you own or how much success you may have. Your value rests in the identity of who you are in Jesus Christ. You have unmatched dignity and unique purpose. You are the exclamation point of God's love. And so is your neighbor, and so is your coworker. I love this quote, didn't find who the author was. But it says, since God made everything that we find in the natural world, he is the beauty behind beautiful. He's the majesty behind everything majestic and the wonder behind everything wonderful. So important, 8325, the Nicene Council got together and said we have to figure out the peers and the foundation of our faith were under attack. And they started out with the doctrine of creation. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of things visible and unvisible. The creator God spoke it into existence. We may not fully understand it, but it takes faith to step out and believe it. It is so foundational for the rest of the Nicene Creed to get this, that there is a creator God and you're his imago Dei. I'm gonna ask us to stand and I'm gonna look in the camera. Don't turn off because I'm actually not done, but in this room, will you guys stand in this moment? Again, those watching online, please hang out through this song because I'm not done yet. The book of Revelation talks about this. Revelation chapter four, verse 11 reads this way. Worthy. What's this one word, friends? Worthy. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let us worship of how great and how good God is. That the creator God spoke it into existence and gave you breath in your lungs. So church, the team is going to lead us in the song, Great Are You, Lord. And let us worship knowing the majesty of who he is. Because God is what, friends? He is? He's worthy. So let's give him a worthy praise in this moment. I said at the beginning we would have two conversations. The who and the why. Well, we talked about the who. Let's talk about the why. Why did God create? Was in heaven, wherever God was with Jesus and the Spirit, was he just bored? Did he not have anything else better to do? I mean, how many games of chess can you play? But God's word gives us the why. 
Why did God create? The prophet Isaiah mentions this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. It reads this way. Can you click the slide, please? I can't. There you go. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my what, friends? There it is. Why did God create? For his glory. Next slide. The psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 19. It reads this way. The heavens declare the what, friends? The? There it is. The heavens, look out there, they declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the handiwork of his hands. Why did God create? For his glory. Why are you and I the image bearers of God? The Imago Dei, next slide. Because God created the world to display his glory so that people might know him Love him and go show the world who he is. Amen, friends. That's why God created. So church, there is breath in our lungs, but we have a greater purpose than just breathing. Let's cry out to this great God that all the earth will shout your praise because that's the point of creation, to know him, to love him. And let's go show our community who creator God is. Let's worship.